So I know. <laughs> fight me on that. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Come at me. Come at me. Come at me. Let's go. Let's do it. I'll take you down. Take you down. I'll strip you I'll bare. I'll take you down to Chinatown. Take you down to Funky Town. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> oh, well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Marvel DNA, the podcast where it's just a couple of chicks breaking down everything awesome about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am Amanda. I'm here with Diane. And today we're going to have a, we're going to have a little bit of a debate. Yeah, we don't agree on this thing, um, which is unusual for us. Look, sometimes people are just wrong about things, and that's okay that you're way off base about Eternals. Not going to hold that okay. against you. Okay. It's okay to disagree, okay. and we can both enjoy Marvel and still not see eye to eye on things, which seldom happens, <laughs> which is why we're doing this session debate style, uh, which I'm horrified <laughs> of because I feel like I'm back in school. So bear with me here. <laughs> you're welcome. That's what you get for disagreeing with me. I'm going to make you debate it. That's right. So here's how here's how it's going to play out. We have prepared um, three overall points to support our arguments. Uh, the statement in question is, Eternals was a good movie. Diane, since you're in favor of that statement, you will start us off. We are each going to have approximately two minutes to make an opening statement, followed by alternating rounds going over each point. Um, we've kind of got a rough time limit set to these because I don't know if you noticed, but Diane and I tend to go off on tangents occasionally. So we try to rein it in, keep it together. At the end, we will each have another closing statement. And you, the audience, it's up to you to determine the winner. So with that, da 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 I want to have a bell sound effect. <laughs> I feel like we should put in ring. here, if we could get rights to it, the SVU, the dun dun, the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, you know what I'm trying <laughs> I'm totally looking that up and I will put it in if we can do it. Does one of us get to have a gavel? <laughs> oh my God. I think we should both have a gavel. That's how strongly I feel about our partnership. Uh, that's, that's too much power for both of us to <laughs> We're have. We're drunk hands. with power now. <laughs> <laughs> I will not use it wisely. <laughs> I refuse to be responsible with this great power. <laughs> I have the gavel of magnificence. This whole courtroom is out of order. You're all out of order. <laughs> my problem is now that I'm like, oh my God, I have to debate. I don't know what to say. And yet I argue all day long, <laughs> every day. Um, I don't know how to not. Argue. I feel like the uh, opening statements, too, can be oh, pretty brief. I feel like we're just sort of reiterating what we're going to say in the closing statements. I guess where I'm going with this is I don't need five minutes to stay in case. Either. And um, yeah. OK, good. I just Great. put that on All us right, in good. case I'm we start like timeline. rambling. Going too and, long. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was just a safeguard. Once I get started, right. I can't stop. You're not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I just really put that in for more our general guidelines. <laughs> okay. But I don't have a timer okay. or anything. So, so uh, good. <laughs> okay, good. Thank God. Oh. Okay. Pressure's taken. Dun dun. Dun dun. I, it's like, it's like, uh, what's his face with the lightsaber where he kept making the lightsaber noises? Oh, and, uh, the <laughs> oh, that was a terrible lightsaber noise. <laughs> it's always terrible if the computer's not the one doing it. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, let me get into this. Here's the hard part about Amanda and I going on opposite, op op opposing perspectives. We've already discussed several things about this movie, uh, that we're both in agreement on that are not good. So, so, and then there's <laughs> things that we're ingredients on that are good. Yeah. So that's going to be what's hard. I feel like this is going to be not, this is going to be a very gray area sort of debate in, in, uh, in the reality. And that's why we're kind of leaving it up to you guys to decide how you feel about this movie. If you've seen it, if you've not seen it, there's going to be spoilers. So if you're one of those people that doesn't like to be spoiled, why are you listening to this? Go watch the movie, come back, then listen to it. Yeah. If you're one of those people that's already seen it or you don't care like me, um, <laughs> I will know the ending of a movie before I go see it. I don't okay. care. Uh, sit tight and just kind of be entertained. Yeah. So I think it's a good movie because it really does explain why they didn't get involved when Thanos uh, was on his journey to collect all of the stones. I feel like that was answered 
well in the movie because at the end of the day, these Eternals specifically um, really kind of fell in love with humanity. Cersei right off the bat kind of fell in love with the planet before even touching down and and then she just fell in love with the people very very quickly. Icarus was in love with her, but held him back held himself back from humanity just because of duty and he had a very strong sense of duty. Duty. And so he <laughs> I should have laughed that hard. <laughs> Stop interrupting my debate. <laughs> At the end of the day though, it's it was a matter of these Eternals specifically kind of just falling in love with humanity in very different ways, which is really interesting. Uh, and it was kind of interesting to watch the char- character dynamics with their relationships with hu- humanity or lack thereof, and then their relationships within the group, their call to duty, and then ultimately what they ended up deciding uh, regarding not allowing the Celestial to be born out of Earth and allowing humans to live in the Celestial's place. Because Ajax started recognizing very early on that there was a this was a very special kind of species, us as humans. And and she actually really encouraged in a roundabout way uh, the other Eternals to develop these relationships with these humans. And in whatever fashion that they did, because the more connection that they found with the humans, even though they weren't supposed to, the far less likely they were to be okay with just ending an entire world so that this celestial can be born. And so... With Thanos snapping his fingers, they didn't get involved because that also slowed down the emergence from happening. And so when Tony Stark, may he rest in peace, snaps his fingers and brings everybody back, that speeds up the timeline. And Ajax kind of realizes that she's out of time on keeping this planet kind of where it's at. And so she recognizes who would be the best person. Because again, like I said, Cersei, before they even landed on the planet, kind of fell in love with with Earth as a whole. And so she knew she would be the best possible person to see where Ajax was coming from and see that it was probably more important to keep these people alive than let a celestial emerge. And so that's, I mean, in my opinion, why it was a good movie, because it kind of explains what, like who, it introduces a whole new group of people and and there wasn't enough. I will say that there wasn't enough. I was so excited, like Thena and Gilgamesh, uh, their relationship, um, Makari and Druig, their relationship. Kingu was so, and Karun were so fun. Um, so I really did <laughs> enjoy these characters. Two and a half hours wasn't really enough time, in my opinion. I want more. Um, it sounds like they're going to do. There's going to be some, maybe some series down the road and there's going to be an Eternals too, things along those lines. Hopefully these characters and these actors will come back um, and we'll get to see them again and get to see more of them. At the end of the day though, that's why I think it was a good movie. I think it was kind of a really interesting way to also introduce something bigger than just kind of the, the gods and then earth level, street level monsters that the, other than the Guardians of the Galaxy, that these avengers and heroes and stuff like that are fighting fighting against uh you've got outer space and now you've got real gods i guess you could call it because thor is technically a god (laughs) but um at the end of the day you've got even bigger even bigger gods and even bigger celestials and and even loki kind of touched on it a little bit when you start to see there's a drawer full of discarded infinity stones i mean (laughs) that was hilarious and it's almost like they're just there uh and you you spend an entire 10 year 23 movie series chasing down these really important stones and they're the most powerful things in the universe. And then you get this brief image, brief glimpse that that actually isn't the most powerful thing in the universe and there's far more powerful things. And so it was a cool introduction to something bigger than what earth is. Also a small side note, I took my sister with us to go see this movie and my sister somehow I found out up until watching The Eternals, had never seen a single Marvel movie. Whoa. That's amazing. And I have no idea how. I was baffled when she told me that. And she goes, I really enjoyed that. That was a really good movie. She goes, I mean, I understood what was going on here, but I didn't really. And I said, well, I mean, if you're just going to jump in the middle of it, I guess that's one of the best possible movies to do that. Because it is. It's a completely different separate it's it really is even though it's on earth it's still separate from the rest of the stories that are being told uh in a sense i mean now it's all got to be combined and everything along those lines and and you know there's things down the road because they have to address a giant marble statue that's half come out of earth's crust (laughs) 
Nice. And it's just sticking out of the ocean. I'm pretty sure at some point that's going to get addressed. I People are taking pictures of it with like their kids climbing all over it. And <laughs> cruises. Cruise to the Marvel yeah. statue. So <laughs> get off the celestial. <laughs> Somebody's out there every day trying to polish it because people's handprints keep getting barnacles. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, definitely left me wanting more. Uh, so I'm excited to see more about these characters, learn more about these characters um, and the stories they have to tell and stuff like that. So at that point, I feel like that was five minutes. I think it did a good job. So Amanda, why don't you care to show, uh, share your... Uh, <laughs> pain points in in this movie and and what you felt was just kind of where it didn't hit the mark (laughs) okay so as diane said this is sort of a gray area because i'm not saying that eternals was a terrible movie i'm saying eternals was a missed opportunity as a movie i feel like they really missed the mark when it came to utilizing this incredible cast first of all um these incredible characters. They were super interesting to me with the exception of a couple. And I will get into that later. I really thought that there was a lot of potential in this film and I feel like it got missed. I feel very strongly that this would have been a much better Disney plus series, for example. Like I feel like if they had been able to put this into four five, six episodes to delve into each of these characters, um, each of these really important, like underlying philosophical issues that they were bringing up. Not only would we have gotten a better story, we would have felt a bigger connection to these people and their struggles. So that is, I'm going to keep my opening statement short and sweet. That is why I was disappointed in this movie. And I have plenty to rant on later. I will rant on. Uh, but in the meantime, Diane, I'm going to throw it back to you for your your first point. Let's just do it point by point. So point, point number one. So my first point, I'm blanking. That's why? You don't have an and, and you know what? Here's the thing. This is why this is so hard. Ha <laughs> ha. This is why this is so hard. Because I do agree. I want... No, no, no. I agree that I wanted more, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that would have, here's the thing. Athena and Galgamesh, those on like a buddy drama mm-hmm. would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Would that have, would that have expanded the story more? Would that have gotten us from point A to point B and explaining um, deviance and things along those lines? I don't know. It just would have been entertaining to watch those two interact. Same thing with uh, Mercari and Druig. Those two had chemistry from Go, and it was a lot of fun seeing the two of them together on the screen. That being said, I don't think those interactions would have furthered the story that they were trying to tell. For one thing, I think it was really fascinating that um, Erishim not only created uh, all of these celestials and all of these things and creates this planet for Tiamat to eventually hatch out of. And there's these species there. The whole point of the emergence is for there to be enough population so that there's enough energy and life force for a celestial to emerge. And so he creates the deviants. And initially the deviants were supposed to have the role that the Eternals had. The problem was the deviants almost seemed to have choice, I guess you could say. And were too smart for their own good, I guess. And so they actually started kind of catching on to what was going on and realizing the whole point of the population growth was for this celestial to emerge. And the celestial emerging also means their life ends. Well, what sentient creature that has a conscience would just be willing to roll over and die? I don't know of any that exists. And so, of course, the deviants are going to do what they possibly can in order to prevent population growth from reaching the level that it would need to be at in order for a celestial to emerge. So they're going to go and just start eating crap. And so (laughs) Tiamat then, or not Tiamat, sorry, Erisim has to go and create the Eternals, which essentially are robots or angels because they don't have the freedom of choice. 
and a conscience. And, and actually in reality, then you also find out in the movie that their memories are completely taken away from them uh, because Erishim doesn't want them remembering the worlds that they're encouraging to grow and blossom and populate because he's probably recognized a few times that this kind of stuff has happened. Again, he already had this issue with the deviants. So now they're having to fight. Their whole purpose is to fight the deviants, take them out uh, because he's lost complete control of them. Also, it's really interesting that he's so hands off. He can't just go and destroy the deviants on his own. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's got to like have somebody else do his dirty work. Beauty God. You know, uh, Erishim's not on my, uh, right? Erishim's not on my, like, you're a good guy list. Uh, anyways, and so so then the Eternals are supposed to do this. Well, you know, I mean, if he's got to take their memories, clearly the, the Eternals are also flawed in a way as well, because now they don't necessarily have a, they're not uh, alive, but they start taking on the character traits of the species of the planet they're on. Well, humans... Feelings are such huge things for humans and choice and things along those lines that like, how could you not fall in love with human beings? And so you're having to play this game with eternals and humans and deviants and things along those lines. And, you know, I, I, I was really disappointed that we didn't get to explore more on the, the evolving deviant. He was very fun. And I really was kind of bummed that he got ended at the end because Again, he's a sentient creature at this point. So he has a conscience, he feels, he is understanding, he's smart, he's learning, he's evolving, literally right in front of our eyes, which is also cool. And he's sharing that knowledge because again, knowledge shared brings everybody up. Like when you're sharing knowledge, everybody then gets to understand and learn and things along those lines. So this is a really long point, but at the end of the day, I feel like it was... I don't think this the the series would have gotten the point across as quickly as the movie did because the whole point of it was they stopped a world-ending event because of the love that they had for the species of humans and the world and just the beauty that we can create along with destruction and as a whole each one of the eternals in a way kind of fell in love with certain aspects of humanity. Okay. Okay. I understand what you're saying in terms of, because I thought about that as well. Like when I think, okay, I want to watch Druig and Makari flirt with each other and steal things throughout every major era in history. Like that is, I'd watch the shit out of that. I want a buddy comedy with Gilgamesh and Thena. I want it immediately. I want to see Ajax and Kingo helping Sprite in a coming-of-age story. These are things that would be very entertaining to me. Um, would they necessarily move the plot of this movie forward? I agree that no, those things would not move the plot of the movie forward. However, this is not a one-off MCU film. These people are coming back. This is going to be something that they're showcasing moving forward and something that I've always thought Marvel did a good job with is character development. Um, but when it comes to introducing a group of characters that we're supposed to care about, Guardians did a much better job. Uh, by the end of Guardians, I was tearing up when Groot was like sacrificing himself to save the family, basically. Um, when Gilgamesh died, I should have been sobbing because his bond with Thena was so strong, but it was so, oh, man, I know I use this phrase a lot, but they are trying to cram five gallons of shit in a two gallon bucket. And it just, it got mucky instead of driving the point that they were trying to make. They, they If they had stuck with just this core of, we love people, we're cool, which by the way, we disagree on this point as well. Humans are the fucking worst. We are awful. That is science. Look it up. It's in all the textbooks. I am not buying that in the universe, aliens are like, oh man, you know what? That planet Earth, they're by far the coolest we've seen. Okay. That is bullshit. And if it's true, then I am terrified of what is out there. Okay. Regardless, moving, <laughs> I would, but I digress. <laughs> I think it's actually just groundbreaking how diverse um, how incredible this group was, both in the film and as actors. And I feel like, how do you get this caliber of talent and not showcase it more in depth? 
I feel like we would have been the things that were meant to be impactful in this film fell short because we missed these these key moments. Um, Gilgamesh dying, Ajax dying, Druig almost dying, Fasto saying goodbye to his family, uh, Sprite's just weird desire to be human. She just wants to be a part of this. Um, Kingo initially seemed to be there for comic relief, but he had some really key moments with Sprite, with Icarus and Makari. So I don't know. I don't even want to say it, but it's even possible that the Cersei-Icarus relationship would make more sense to me if we could have explored that in more than just like a montage of him watching her be nice to people. Like I really struggled with that and I will make that point subsequently. But, um, you know, Ajak is the leader. She clearly played an important role. She was their guiding light. She was this maternal figure, uh, but she barely got any screen time. And then like 30 minutes in, she's dead. Okay. You don't do Selma Hayek dirty like that. She's fucking Selma Hayek. She's amazing. Uh, I want to know how did Fastos meet his husband? How did he explain to him what he was? Like, how did this impact their decision to have a child? This does not need to be a whole mini series devoted to this, but like, let's explore this a little bit more. Um, another character issue I had, Dane seemed super cool with everything. Like, yeah, it's no big woo. So um, I see you've got this kid named Sprite living with you. Um, she says a lot of shit. What is Sprite's deal? Why is she telling Dane all this stuff? Like, yeah, we're Eternals and um, her ex-boyfriend used to fly. And, you know, like, what the hell? That doesn't raise any red flags. <sighs> and also, why is Makaria Klepto in a shut-in? I thought the Mrs. Havisham reference was really funny, but I want to know more about why she's <laughs> really into stealing things and just locking herself on the ship. <laughs> that was fun to me. Um, I, I get that this film did not have the luxury of delving into each character the way that like we've come to know Tony Stark and... Steve Rogers and Natasha Romanoff, or even Scott Lang and, uh, you know, Shang-Chi and all of these newer people, we've gotten to know them more. But I should have been more impacted by things like Thena's reaction to Gilgamesh, um, even when the Deviant was using his name and telling her to stay and the way that she reacted to that, that should have been more impactful. Um Kingo saying to Icarus, I'll follow you to the end, just like I always have. It, it gives Icarus pause. And it's because he said the exact same thing to earlier, earlier to Ajak. But like, they never really address that beyond making it a segue for the plot. So to me, the statement itself is pretty hefty since the term I always have goes back like a really long time for these people. Um, but it obviously meant enough to Icarus for him to remember that he said the same words to Ajak. So was this a point about just like blindly following someone in a position of authority without question? Was it just a hollow plot device to get us to the betrayal scene? You know, why does Kingo have so much faith in Icarus? Like, what does their history look like? What about the relationship between Icarus and Ajak? He's clearly like second in command here. She trusted him enough to tell him about the whole grand plan emergence thing way back when. But still, she chose to put Cersei in charge quote unquote, uh, when she died. Like, when did that happen? Was she falling towards the deviants going like, oh, man, you're such a dick. You totally don't get to be the lead. Or did she realize earlier? Did she? I, I don't know. I don't know. Give me an example of what Ajax actually saw in Cersei that made this decision make more sense. So I, I feel like the cast was super diverse and talented, and it felt like a waste to me that they tried to fit all of this stuff into a movie. They should have picked one single plot thread if that's where they were really going with it. But they weren't. They were trying to make it a character-driven thing. They were trying to make it all of these philosophical things instead of making it just about saving the planet. The stupid planet. Point two. I do have a counterpoint on that because I feel, I actually disagree. I feel like they did a really good job of giving you a taste of each character's main, main um, kind of who they were, their driving force behind them. Icarus was duty, 100% down. That's why duty. he was Ajax's second in command, duty. <laughs> uh, it was 
this is what his role was. This is what he was supposed to be doing. This is what he was sent here to do. I'm here to defeat deviants. I'm here to make sure that these humans do what they're supposed to do because there is a grand, a grander play, a grander role here. There's a reason we're here. It's duty, 100%. Um, Ajax, the leader. So she's the leader. She's guidance. She gives every, tells everybody what to do. She also sits back and watches and observes. And she's not just observing humans. She's observing all of the uh, people in her crew that she's there leading. You know, you get an idea of with of Fastos. Like he is all about science and technology and bettering, you know, he's creating the the plow machine before with, with an engine on it before they're even ready. And, and so it's like, I, I just want to get them to a point where they can use this stuff and they're not having to toil so hard, you know, so you get an understanding of him. He's got like this, again, it's this sense of duty, but he also really gets excited about being able to share this technology with these humans because he gets to see what they can do with it. You know, um, Makari, it's, it's that human connection. She has like a, a really interesting connection because she sees people motivations and I think that's how she kind of turned into a klepto because she sees this motivation and she sees these things these people make and that and she kind of wants to hoard it she wants to hoard the creation that these humans have because she sees value in the beauty that they create um you know like I said Cersei from day one just fell in love with humans regardless so she just she is just heart all the way heart 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 she doesn't really think from a sense of duty it's more feeling with her um Thena again she's a warrior like warrior, wire, warrior through and through. That's what she is. She's there to fight deviants. You know, when the, um, what would, what'd they call it? Mad weary hits and things along those lines, she's turning on the Eternals because again, the whole point of the Eternals is to prov- like allow these people to keep, uh, the population to expand as quick as possible. And she also realizes like their true purpose. And so, so I feel like you do get a taste of all of these characters. Like Gilgamesh is all about taking care of his family, which at a point it's just Thena because she needs the most care. So Gilgamesh is, he's like the, the caretaker in the, so I, I don't know. I, as I'm watching, I feel like they did a pretty decent job of giving me a taste of who these characters were. Yeah. It would have been awesome to figure out, how um fastos met his husband and they met their kid the question that you have about all of like how did he even broach that look we're living in an age in the marvel universe quote unquote that they understand that gods exist they understand that super enhanced human beings exist they understand that there's aliens and spaceships and there's thanos that can come in and snap and the entire world disappears so i feel like broaching that subject with people is far more accepted in the post blip uh, world of earth so it's easier to have those conversations with humans and i feel like humans are going to be a little bit more accepting and look i am the first to admit that if somebody told me that they had superpowers i would be stoked to know them as a person. I'd be like, dude, I know this person. This is so freaking cool. I bet Dane was geeking out nonstop. And the only reason he never really brought it up to Cersei is because Sprite's the one that that kind of shared it with him and things like that. And Sprite's really interesting because she's desire and envy in a sense because she doesn't get to have what everybody else has because she is stuck in the form that she's in. And so she has these and she has to deal with not being looked at the way that she wants to be looked at. She has to deal with not getting the things that she wants. She gets to deal with like, that is a human thing where you desire to have a different body or desire to have somebody desire you the way you desire them, things along those lines. So I feel like there was enough of that character development. And again, I'm not disagreeing that I kind of wish there was more. At the end of the day though, the, the, the story they were trying to tell I think was best fit in a movie. Uh, and I do feel like you get a taste of who these characters are and you get a taste of how, what drives them. Um, and, and what's really nice is there's not a ton of exposition. I mean, there's definitely some exposition when it's like the whole story of Erishim, but like with the characters themselves, I don't feel like there's too much exposition. Um, I was really sad when Gilgamesh died. (laughs) I didn't shed a tear. Um, so you're heartless and we've That's already true. discussed this. Accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yes, was, was some of the acting, did some of the acting fall flat? Yes. Uh, you know, the chemistry between Richard Madden and Gemma, uh, Cersei and Icarus there, there was none. 
there was zero chemistry. There was more chemistry between Karun and all of his cameras that he kept pulling out of I don't know where, which was just <laughs> such a wonderful running gag and shtick. I absolutely um, hmm. But at the end of the day, I feel like that didn't necessarily – it kind of – it was a little distracting. I don't think it took away from the story that was being told. Um, I think we both can agree, though, him flying into the sun was a little too just on the nose and dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's actually my next point. <laughs> oh, well, feel free to, to, I'm not going to disagree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I figured we'd both Take be in agreement away. on that. In fact, you might agree with a lot of my next point. A lot of my next point may not have a rebuttal. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Take it away. Oh, okay. Um, the two quote unquote leads uh, that we're supposed to be super invested in more so than the rest, even though it's an ensemble cast, um, Icarus and Cersei. I am not sure how two phenomenal actors like Gemma Chan and Richard Madden ended up playing two of the most boring characters in a Marvel movie. But here we are. It is like... You can't see, but I'm nodding. Yes. Okay. I believe you. Such a massive part of the plot hangs on the very fact that these two have supposedly been like madly in love with each other for thousands of years. But like you said, I have better chemistry with my favorite pair of sweatpants than those two had with each other. Um, I don't think there was a lot of chemistry between Cersei and Dane either, but there was a little bit more. So I don't know if it's just, it's probably because I don't like Cersei. Maybe that's what it is. I'm going to start with Icarus though, uh, whom I prefer to call Dickerus. After everything he did, he's a real dick. Um, His character felt really one-dimensional to me. Richard Madden did the best he could with what he had, but frankly, he just, he didn't have that much. Um, And that shouldn't be the case because he was faced with like this massive internal struggle. He was so devoted to his faith and so devoted to his mission that he killed for it. He betrayed his one true love for it. He was willing to sacrifice his whole family for it. But we don't feel that torment. We don't see that conflict. He's just kind of this stoic, like, just here to help with this deviant situation, you know, dude, until we find out he flew Ajax to Alaska and straight up murdered her. And then after that, he's just a grade A jackass. Like the the scene where he's talking to Ajax and kills her is almost just like an information dump where we find out in three minutes why Ajax thinks people are super cool, uh, that Icarus left Cersei because he just couldn't stand to be with her, knowing that the people she loved would be sacrificed. Like, what? what is that? You just ghost your wife after centuries of being together? Like, that is that is next-level asshattery. I am sorry. At least lie to her, man. Tell her something so she can have some closure instead of just bouncing. And then he's like, you don't know who I really am. Like, he's some misunderstood emo kid talking to his parents. No one knows who you really are, dude, and no one cares because you're not interesting at all. So I just, I don't know. He's so ashamed of himself, either for not killing Cersei or for trying to kill everyone else. I don't know. He flies directly into the sun, which was a little heavy handed there, guy. All right. Come on now. All right. (sighs) Then there's Cersei, who's more brains than brawn, which is totally fine. But we're not even 15 minutes in the movie when I start to question her brains because she's hugging a student in the middle of a classroom during an earthquake instead of getting her to safety under a desk. And then, I mean, you know, okay, she saved the one kid, like, turning the statue into dust, which did look super cool. But, like, she's like, it's okay. The room's still shaking, bitch. Get her under a table. Then when she sees a deviant in the river, she looks at Sprite and she's like, you stay here with Jon Snow. I'm going to lead this very dangerous thing into the middle of the streets of London. Ugh, ugh, that is not brain, Cersei. Ajax chose her to lead the group, which makes sense on a surface level. Yes, she knew Cersei loved the people of Earth. She believed Cersei had the strength to fight the emergence. But that is ridiculous because why the fuck wouldn't Erishem, this all-powerful, powerful? Ah, I'm so mad I can't even say powerful. This all-powerful planet bajillionaire, he should have been the one to choose the next in command, okay? Icarus, obvious option for Erishem. But even Kingo would have been a better choice because he did at least believe in the mission they were handed. But no. It goes to Cersei, the chick who could have been interesting, but instead was just a wet blanket the whole time. Diane said wet blanket, and that's what I'm going with, because there's no better adjective for her. Look, I made you a dagger. 
Look, I'm braiding your hair. Look, I'm, I'm dancing with you and watering your crops. Despite my obvious compassion for others and badass ability to transmutate matter, I'm going to spend a good chunk of the next 5,000 years with low self-esteem and a weird coming-of-age story arc. Like, like she's an awkward teenager in a Judy Bloom novel. Maybe that's why she and Sprite got along so well. Ah, and at the very end, when she's done this, like, <laughs> unbelievable thing that she didn't think she could do, and I'm sure she was conflicted about doing, right? Cersei's just like, oh, hey, Sprite, I think I have a little unimind energy left in these magic jazz hands. I know it was only, like, 72 hours ago that I couldn't do more than turn a bus into rose petals, but I'm feeling pretty good about the whole murder in a celestial thing, so instead of using these powers for something that might really help this planet, how about I turn your whiny ass into a human, okay? Would you stop complaining and get a better haircut? Would you do that for me? It made me wish that Dickerus took her into the sun with him. I just couldn't. I couldn't with those two. That is all. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I have no rebut. I have no rebut because they are good. They are. They're horrible. Um, what cracks me up about, and this is maybe me just putting story in because Icarus is a flat character. He's a very flat character. Um, they made him very um, uh, one dimensional. Yeah. And the one dimension was, which I thought was really interesting because he was very, he was very manipulative also with him and Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, because he didn't give two flying fucks about uh, humanity, he cared about he cared about Cersei. He he lost it after Cersei, so he kind of like acted like he cared um, in order to gain her love or whatever. And I don't think Cersei was head over heels in love with him. I don't think she ever was. I think she loved the idea of the intimacy, and I think she loved the closeness, and I think she liked the. Um, like the just just that I don't think she was head because like how are you with somebody for five thousand years and then because she she left him the way she kind of talks to Dane um, and tells him like kind of what happened uh, he was too distant like he kind of well he like left and never came back and so she kind of was just like eh, whatever okay and then when like and he was like he was full on head over but he was really conflicted right but it also again oh my god when he threw ajax off that cliff and i'm just like you're like because i don't know i i i feel like they didn't want i wanted they wanted to keep him ambiguous like is he a bad guy is he not a bad guy it's this sense of duty ajax was standing in the way of them fulfilling their duties and so she he had to get rid of the obstacle right he had to get rid of what was preventing them from fulfilling their duties so he sacrificed her i think he was expecting to become the the, now the one in charge and was not expecting cersei so then he kind of had to like play that i'm in love with you card uh again back to manipulation um in order to get cersei to see like his perspective which cersei was never going to see his perspective but what i thought was really interesting was um that she turned Tiamat into marble when the whole coming of age thing was that she was able to turn a deviant into a tree. And so I thought what would have been more fascinating was if she had turned Tiamat into like an island or something functional. Again, it's let's do a dagger instead of all the stuff that I can do. uh, Let's just turn this into something useful that's now sticking out of the ocean for no reason. Um, Giant marble statue, whatever. Um... So, yeah, you and I both are on the same page when it comes to just, like, the whole Icarus. It's just, there's so, and I don't know if it's just because the two actors don't have chemistry with each other, which that's a thing. Like, you don't have to like every mm-hmm. single person you come in contact with. And it, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't mean that they're a crappy person or anything along those lines. You're just not going to have chemistry with every single person you meet. And so forcing those two to act like they care about each other was painful at the least. And I think it came off as the wet blanket. And it was just painful um and i think that's why it leads to you being like i really would have rather had seen a a athena and gilgamesh buddy comedy or more of druig and makari hanging out with each other or more of um anybody else (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh sprite really (laughs) sprite really got on my nerves only because you've had 7,000 years or 5,000 years or whatever to like not be envious 
And yet that's what you're going to latch on to is something, somebody you can't have, which I think is a really weird dynamic to keep perpetuating because I feel like that's a thing that happens a lot of times with um, like little girls is they're taught to like desires, things, you know, um, maybe I'm way off page here. I don't have like a fully formed thought there, but Mm -hmm. it's like where you're kind of where they should just love me because I love them. And it's like, that's not the case. Like he clearly for the past 5,000 years has had, has had eyes for literally somebody else move on at this point, you know? And so for her to only follow Icarus just because she was, she wanted something she couldn't have. And, and honestly, I think that was like a girl boss moment for Cersei. Cause she's like, look, competition's removed. I'll just turn you into a human. <laughs> now I don't have to worry about you envying what I have anymore. Cause you're a human. And at some point you're going to die. So let me just take all of your eternal powers away from you. Right now you're a felony. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're a felony. So Stay my it's man. just one of those things where, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, and, and the funny thing is, like, Cersei never even noticed. That's the other part. Like, Sprite literally never stood a chance. Icarus had eyes for one Eternal and one Eternal only. Never had eyes for any other Eternal at all. Cersei didn't even have to worry about Sprite. And she didn't because she didn't have to. And so Sprite, like, girl, get a hobby. Like, I get it, but also get off me. Fall in love with one of the Eternals. Like, <laughs> Kingo had like a fatherly, avuncular, almost like an avuncular fatherly sort of role with with Sprite, which was kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was almost like a, a reluctant uncle. Because <laughs> he's also the only one that noticed. Yeah, he, None of the other Eternals noticed that Sprite was obsessed with Icarus either. Because Kingo is the only one that did. So you're just like... Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, I don't necessarily have a third point other than just like small things. Like I said, I already kind of brought up, um, Karun and his cameras. One of my favorite things that Marvel movies will do is take, take a shtick and they'll run with it and they'll do it in a fun way. That's like, look, it's a trope, right? It's a trope. You know, he's going to pull cameras out of somewhere because he's done it. So it's like, at this point, it's kind of like a lot of people, there was a lot of backlash with, um, Jessica Chastain in the uh, Jurassic World movie where she spent the entire movie in high heels. And, and like people have to refit about that. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. It was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious because at some point. Was she keeping a pair of sneakers with her? That's ridiculous. Nobody she, would she do got that. caught in the middle of this shit at work. She had to wear heels. Right. She had to wear heels. You can't run around on ground with glass, like whatever. She's going to stay in heels. And they're clearly sensible high heels. So it's not like she's wearing stilettos. And so I thought it was a hilarious shtick, especially at the end when she had to run away from the the T-Rex and she's in the high heels. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great shtick. I, the camera that thing. That was Bryce Dallas Howard, by the way. Oh, thank you. I get him confused. And, um, you know, like Spider-Man always losing his suit or yes. something happening to his suit in every single one of his, his solo movies. You know, it's, it's that running stuff that I like. It's, the, it's tropey. It's not. And I feel like they did it in a way that wasn't cliché. And so it's, it's just those little, those little things. And so at the end of the day, I, I really enjoyed the movie the first time around. I was like, man, I really wanted more. The second time I watched it, it was, I was able to focus a little bit more on, on a few more details. Um, the third time watching it, it was just kind of, I don't know. I just, it's a nice standalone movie. Um, no, is it at the level that guardians of the galaxy was? I don't think so. You're also looking at six characters instead of 10 characters plus uh, an entire species of villain, quote unquote, because in my opinion, I don't think the deviants are villains. Um, and then you've got, you know, and, and I feel like it, everything was very ambiguous too, which was very interesting. So I feel like it leaves you almost unsatisfied uh, because there's an ambiguity in the movie. Icarus isn't really a bad guy. Yeah, is he an asshole? Absolutely. Sprite's also kind of a dick. Um, there's no true, I mean, yes, did he do something villainous by throwing Ajax over the cliff? He also was trying, Ajax was trying to stop what their entire mission was. And so he's like, well, you're getting in the way of our mission. I have to end you sort of thing. So he was still following duty in this way. And he was doing what he thought was right. Um, And it wasn't until Cersei was chosen as the leader that he realized that he kind of made a mistake only because he needed to get Cersei on his side. Because again, it's all about duty for Icarus. So at the end of the day, I feel like there was 
there was, I wanted more, which I think is good because the next movie that comes out or series or whatever ends up happening, I will find myself watching it because the characters were fascinating and there was, and, and it, it, it has pulled me in and I do want to see more of these characters. And so I feel like it did do a good job with that. Point three. I, <laughs> I do. I absolutely do agree with you that I don't actually think there was a villain in this movie. I don't think there was a hero in this movie. I think it is all about uh, motivations and what is right and what is wrong. And I think as I move into this final point, that is my biggest issue with it. It is, I will say this, the first time I watched it, I was super unimpressed. And the second time I watched it, I actually did enjoy it more. Um, I found it more redeeming the second time around. So I will say, again, that I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's a missed opportunity. I think if they wanted to make it a standalone movie, they should have picked a lane and stayed in it. But they didn't. And where I'm going with this is they had a lot. Can I add one small piece? Yes, fine. Can I interrupt real quick? Because yes, I a hundred percent agree with you there. It should have been the story, not the Icarus Cersei thing. Yes, they should have pulled that back a little. Absolutely. Bit. So I completely agree with yes. you there. Oh, they. You okay. can always oh, interrupt me to agree with me. I'm trying not to in no, the debate. It's situation. okay. I appreciate your diplomacy, but if you're agreeing with me, you just cut me off and be like, "Bitch, you are right." Okay. Like, yeah, I am. <laughs> um. So. They had some seriously big underlying themes in this movie that, again, given more time, could have really been heightened in a spectacular way if they'd been given the option to explore them. Um, Mad Weary, to me, was very, I mean, it was essentially PTSD. Um, given that Thena was the only one affected and she's the goddess of war. I mean, this is a pretty natural segue PTSD that the military deals with and how that's handled. Um, she's not really given any way to cope. Other than being isolated. Uh, thankfully, Gilgamesh volunteers to go with her and watch over her. But I, to be fair, I think that it's explored relatively well initially. I think they do a good job going into it. But then at the end, it's just sort of written off with a line like, oh, must have been a defect when you were programmed. You didn't get reset correctly. Um, and that was a bummer to me. Like, I feel like they sort of uh, totally undermined that whole situation. And it is possible because Thena's still around that they will explore this more in the sequel. And I hope that they do because it is a, you know, mental illness, PTSD, and those things are very real issues. Um, so I do hope they give them a little more weight moving forward or continue at least to address it. Um, We've got predetermination versus free will. That's a huge one. Even just on a small level with Druig's powers in particular, he argued a couple times. He's like, why do I have to sit back and watch these stupid humans fight when I can stop it? And he was finally, after a while, he was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And he peaced out to the rainforest where he probably had a really chill life for a long time telling everyone around him what to do and how to act. And I know it's wrong, but I'm jealous. And I'm just going to say that. Um we have, you know, creation versus evolution um, and not in a religious sense, but just in terms of like Erisham created the Eternals and the Deviants. He had very specific purposes for both of them. And yet thousands of years go by and they start forging their own paths. Um, and then, you know, the bomb gets dropped towards the end. Like, hey, Cersei, can you pick up some milk while you're out? And oh, by the way, you actually are just a robot that I made. And uh, so was everyone else. So... Just an FYI, thought you should know. Cersei, Cersei being a robot actually made the most sense to me out of all the movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, that explains it. Okay. She's that a one robot. actually was accurate. She's a robot. Yep. I get it now. Um, but none of the others seem to have a hard time processing this information. Like, I don't know if it's because they're robots, so it's cool. Like, but they were pretty quick to glaze over that. Like, this massive bomb gets dropped. Like, by the by, we're not actually aliens. We were literally grown in, like, a lab by this dude. And he just fucking straight up wipes our memories every time. And they're like, oh, man. Well, whew, that's a bummer. Like, I mean, it. And then keeps them. And then keeps he them. Wipes and them then and keep them. It's fine. It's no big deal. Yeah, he's got, like this really cool modern shelving situation he's got. I don't know if he got it from Ikea or what, but it looks really fancy and it's uh, LED lit up with all our fucking memories stored in there. Like, no big woo. It's, it's fine. It's Instagram. It's, it's, it is. It's it's Instagram level. He's an influencer. On that shit. 
Uh, and then even within that, you've got you've got blind faith versus skepticism. Do you just accept what God or the universe or, you know, whatever higher power you believe in or even just any authority figure? Do you just blindly accept what they tell you is truth, no matter what the cost is? Do you question it? How far are you willing to go on either side? Like there's this crazy Titan dude saying he's going to wipe out half the universe. That sounds really bad. Let's go help with the. Oh, wait, are there deviants involved? No. Shit. Sorry. We were told we can't interfere. <laughs> and Diane, you brought up. Yeah, but remember at that point. Ajak was. Had already kind of. And I agree with you. I, yeah, I agree with. She was like, oh, he's going to wipe. Okay. That's, that's cool. fine. We'll sit back and let it happen. And I do understand that. That was a point I hadn't fully considered. So thank you. Because we are adults here. And we can concede points occasionally. I will say I did not plan on that. I didn't think about that. That actually was not my fully formed idea. That was uh, my brother and I were discussing it. And he brought that up. And I was like, oh, you're right. They do mention that. And you're right. All right. So, Well, hats off to your brother. Because that was an observation I didn't pay attention to. (laughs) But I got to wonder, did Icarus not go over to like, like, hey, this is really going to fuck up Erisham's plan. You want to phone this into him and see what we got going on? Like, none of them stood up? I understand why Ajax didn't. That totally makes sense. None of them did. I believe that maybe he didn't because in his mind, he's like, well, Erisham said no, so I guess we won't do it. And that's, you know, another, it's a bigger issue. Also, I hate to be this way, but humans kill like a lot of humans. I don't feel like Erisham need like Erisham's the dumbest god. I don't feel like he needed to make deviants. I think we would have been just fine taking ourselves out that's just well but remember we're not the only planet that this has happened on right which means he should know better well no but what i'm saying is like because the whole point of it is population growth right right and so maybe because we he, like the to deviants were there to kill the apex predators they were there to kill the apex right. predators i get it i just think erisham's a dumb god and then i the favorite don't disagree with you there <laughs> <laughs> the favorite marvel debate right Are the lives of the few greater than the lives of the many? I feel like this was very similar to Captain America and Vision and Infinity War. You know, we don't trade lives. Vision, even though he said, even though it was his life, he's like, listen, it's just me. Y'all can save half the universe. Like, get over it. And I was kind of team Vision on that, even though I liked him. But then Steve, who is usually my favorite, was like, no, we don't trade lives. And I'm like, Maybe give this some thought, Steve. Maybe think this one through. Well, so actually, so let's pull in a little bit of the comic book real quick. So Tiamat in the comics actually chooses not to be born because he mind melts with the Eternals and realizes the love that the Eternals have for humans and realizes, ooh, it's actually probably better that I don't be born because of what is capable, what this species of of planet is capable of doing. So in the comics, Tiamat actually chooses not to be born out of Earth because he cares for the, or it's something along the lines of he's kind of conscious the whole time Earth is doing its thing and growing. And so even though he's like an egg inside our core, however that works, he's kind of conscious of it and actually chooses not to. So I feel like maybe they missed the mark a tiny bit in in order. In, and it was almost like not his choice when in the comics, it kind of is his choice. Well, and it's, so then that makes way more sense and would have been better for the film because it's a sacrifice that he's made because Cersei has communicated this to him. As opposed to killing Which, him. And, that's a, and at that point, maybe they should have taken the opportunity to turn the exposition in that direction instead of doing the exposition with Erishim. Right. Like, we didn't need to know they were robots. We knew they were aliens. Like, I, I didn't think that was necessary at all. I'm like, so you're trying to cram all this other shit in here, but then you just sort of dump this in in like a three-minute seat. And it's like, oh, damn, okay. And then we're supposed to immediately switch gears and move over to this other stuff. It just... I feel like if they really just wanted to focus in on that last point, I think that was ultimately kind of where it goes with the subplot being blind faith versus, you know, you know, predetermination versus, you know, free will. It would have made more sense. And this is where ultimately I come into it being you guys tried too hard to put too much things in here. This movie could have been just fine as a movie and I would have accepted the the lesser character development much easier if you had taken like one thing and gone with it. And then it would have been like, okay, you could have explored it a little more. But I think they were trying to put 
more things in there. And I don't disagree with any of the things they were putting in there, but they didn't give it enough time. And so that is where I came with that. Here's my question, because I agree with you. I feel like what didn't work the most, because you and I keep bringing it up every single time, is the uh, the Icarus-Cersei relationship. I think if yes. they, because I still feel like the story could have worked without the romance. Oh, Because again, Icarus still has duty, Cersei still has her sense of people, whatever you want to call it. That blind duty, the blind, you know. Duty. I feel like if they had pulled, <laughs> I feel like if they had pulled that out. It wouldn't have affected the story at all. I don't think it would have. And and actually, I don't I don't think it would have distracted from the story. Because no. I feel like that's what it did was it, it distracted from the story. Yeah. And then I feel like they put exposition in the wrong place. Because like I said, if they had explained, because I didn't know that about Tiamat until I watched New Rockstars. They did a breakdown of, of Tiamat and the Celestials and stuff like that. I feel like that's almost where, because at this, because at this point it looks like Tiamat didn't have a choice and it looks like she killed him where in the comics, it's almost more like he sacrifices himself because again, it's, it's one or the many what makes, and like, you don't trade lives, but like, it looks like Cersei traded Tiamat's life for everybody else. When in the comics, Tiamat makes that choice for himself, which would have been far more impactful vision does far more impactful. If Cersei had still ultimately chosen not to murder this, celestial but instead melded with him to explain and relay this is why i feel these way this way about these people for him to say wow and to be so overwhelmed by her heart that would have been far better than her killing him and then turning sprite human well and they literally could have taken that whole part out they could have taken icarus flying into the sun and the whole yeah. crap with sprite they could have taken because that was what two or three minutes yeah. They could have taken that out, done a whole quick little mind meld thing, and all of a sudden Tiamat's there and they're all talking to him. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I agree. I don't need to be here. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. And I feel like that would have been more Yeah. So I mean, look here, at the end of the day, you and I both agree on a lot of stuff. And I don't we even do. think we fully disagree on the stuff that we were disagreeing on. Mm -mm. This was the lamest debate ever. Okay, so this is this one didn't work. That's okay. There were a lot of great parts in the movie. I think what upset me is that it wasn't a bomb. It was good, and I just feel like I wish they had taken it in a different direction. It left you wanting more. You you felt you felt unfinished. You 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 were left wanting more, which honestly I think is is a good it, it is a good thing. It is to leave you in a place where you're but it's also like, no. I feel like I want more from what I got, though, not more in the future. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. I would have. And just to be clear, because at some point people are going to start sending emails. I did feel sad when Gilgamesh <laughs> died. It wasn't like I was celebrating oh, his demise. I just was like, but it was more just like, oh, that's too bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, he was cool. Why'd they kill him off? Well, and like you touched on with it being PTSD, I I completely agree with you. That is a hundred percent a societal response where you've got somebody where like, well, let's let's uh uh lobotomize yeah. them because that a will fix them. You're not going to be the same, but you're not having these issues anymore. And the only what's the issue that she tries to kill you? I mean, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but it's one of those things where it's like. That is honestly what PTSD suffers, especially when you're talking about this person that's coming back from war. They're a warrior. Yes. They get pushed aside. They get tossed aside. They don't want to be dealt with. Society doesn't want to deal with them. You've got 10 people in this entire group of people, and one person wanted to be there to care for her, to make sure that she was not lesser of who she was. So, I mean, it was really cool how they touched on... And you're right. They could have made an entire movie, an entire episode on what she goes through and how Gilgamesh cares for her. There could have been an entire episode on Fastos and his husband yes. and their kid. Mm -hmm. There could have been an entire episode on Makari. She stayed in the Dormo. Dormo? The, yeah, the, the Domo. ship the entire time. The just Domo, collecting yeah. things. The Domo. I, so that's, I think that's what I would prefer. I'd love an episode of Makari with Druig sprinkled in. Like, I love them together so much, and yeah. I want that romance because that's me. I'm the girly girl who loves romance. But... I don't need it from them right now. I would be, if I were going to focus on romance, I'd be far more interested on Fastos and his husband and find out like how that evolved and how he adorable. went 
from <laughs> they are adorable like but how he went seriously from basically hating humanity because they giving took up what on he humans. gave him i mean what was that like that this man comes into his life and turns it around where he's like all right that's what love it does. is what love does Fucking, that's what love does. I wanted to love see that. Don't show me fucking Dickerous and Cersei. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> they didn't even have, like, they should never have even been a thing. You are completely correct. That should have been removed and that shouldn't have been a thing. But I would have wanted to see the rest of it. You know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think they could have done more. One quick little point. What's really funny, too, is this is the first movie ever that has a sex scene. It's not, though. And because it was with the two most wet blankets, it was like, okay, I don't need to. I don't need to. I don't want to see that. I don't need to watch that part. Again. Again, at least two other couples I would have rather seen in a sex scene. Anyone. Anyone else. Anyone else. Would have been better. (laughs) And it wasn't even really a sex scene. It was pretty, like, it they wasn't made it a big deal, and it was a whole thing. And I'm like, it was a makeout session. Yeah, in the sand. exactly. And who would make? Who would do that in uh, the robot sand? Or not, that sand? They goes clearly places. were evolved enough to yeah, have like, beds. It goes everywhere, and places. it stays there you, for a long time. Look, you go to the beach in a bathing suit, and it's places, yeah. and you're rolling yeah. around in the sand, like yeah. guys. No, I call bullshit. Come on, I call bullshit. <laughs> I call bullshit. I call bullshit. That's unacceptable. I'm sorry. She's never going to get that out of her joints. Woo, that was intense. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly. Uh, What do you think, everybody? How did we do? Was one case more compelling than the other? What did you think of Eternals? I don't know. I, uh, I think we both made a good case. Uh, We want to thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. And of course, we'd love it if you left a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you give us five stars, we promise to live up to it and also build a statue in your honor. Please be nerdy, be kind, and remember, these are just our opinions. I love it. The statue is not going to be very big. (laughs) Do you have anything you'd like to add? Maybe an idea or a topic you'd like to hear in a future episode? hit us up with an email at marveldna at gmail.com. That's marveldanda at gmail.com.